And you are listening to Lavender Hill here on KZUM Lincoln, KZUM HD 89.3 on the FM and online at KZUM.org. Perhaps you're using that handy-dandy, smarter-than-a-calculator device, you know, that thing that you take everywhere with you. If you're driving, put it down. And you're listening to us uh, using your favorite mobile listening app like TuneIn or Next Radio. Or perhaps you're listening up to two weeks after original broadcast date thanks to the KZUM archives, which can be found online at kzum.org slash archives. I'm Phil, your host today, and I hope that you are having a great Sunday morning. For many of you, it's Easter. For some of you, it's Ramadan. For some of you, it's something else entirely. And then, of course, there's those that don't celebrate anything this weekend other than their own lives. You do you, whatever it is. All righty. Well, before I get started, I want to uh, say that uh, I chose that uh, Joe Stevens song there that we heard, Lemons and Limes, because today is Joe's birthday. And it's been a long time since we've had Joe here in studio. He and Ben Wallace were touring across the country a number of years ago and stopped here in Lincoln and, you know, sat in with Corwin and I. That tells you it's been more than three years. Okay, so I got a whole lot of news to try to cover today, and I know I'm not going to get it all in. And I've still got music for you, of course, too. So let's just see what we can get to here. A follow-up to something that I talked about last week up in North Dakota. The uh, house there in North Dakota is controlled by the uh, grand old party, the Republicans. But according to an article uh, from USA Today this past Tuesday... They didn't have enough votes to override the governor's veto of their anti-trans bill. And, of course, that means in North Dakota, as well as across the rest of the nation, it seems that the fight for LGBTQ rights is continuing to intensify. This past Monday, uh, the Culture Wars made their most recent stop uh, in North Dakota for their nationwide tour, as the article says. House Republicans there failed to get enough votes to override Governor Doug Burgum's veto of a bill that critics say would have allowed state employees and teachers to misgender transgender students and staff. In his veto in the previous week, Bergman said the bill put an undue burden on teachers to be the pronoun police. The governor also said the issue would be better managed at the local level and by parents rather than state government. Uh, He's quoted as saying, North Dakota will continue to stand for free speech, local control, and freedom from discrimination. Now, they did, the, uh, the GOP in the Senate, uh, did override his veto with a vote of 37 to 9, but the uh, House fell short of its two-thirds majority needed with a vote of only 56 to 36, so the veto stands. The bill will not become a law and is one of dozens in North Dakota and hundreds across the country targeting LGBTQ people, particularly the trans and non-binary community. They are being pushed by the same conservative organizations that work to overturn federal abortion rights. Overall, the American Civil Liberties Union is tracking nearly 450 bills nationwide that target LGBTQ rights to freedom of speech, health care, and more. 
I'll be posting the link to that article over on our Facebook page a little while later today for you. But let's see here. What do I have next for you? Ah, let's see here. We're going to go to Idaho and Indiana. Okay. Uh, according to an article from HuffPost on this past Wednesday, Idaho and Indiana have joined the slew of conservative states blocking youth gender-affirming health care. From the article, rooted in a large culture war waged by the right on racial justice in the transgender community, Idaho, Indiana, and Kansas have joined other Republican-led states in passing legislation that prevents transgender youth from receiving gender-affirming health care and participating in sports. This past Wednesday, the Kansas legislature passed a law banning transgender youth from playing on women's and girls' sports teams after the governor vetoed it last month. And Indiana Governor uh, Eric Holcomb, a Republican, signed... SB 480 into law this past Wednesday, prohibiting medical physicians and practitioners from, quote, knowingly providing gender transition procedures to an individual who is less than 18 years of age or aiding or abetting another in doing so. He signed the bill despite calling it vague and clear as mud just the day before. Uh, the Associated Press uh, quotes Holcomb as saying, It wasn't part of my agenda. I've told some people very close to me, this is clear as mud. There's some vagueness to it. So I want to make sure I completely understand. And does he completely understand? He signed it. Uh, the new law will take effect in Indiana on July 1st. After that, any youth currently taking gender transitioning medications has until the end of the year, December 31st, to essentially detransition, at least medically speaking. In a statement to HuffPost, Hope, uh, Holcomb defended his signing of the bill, saying, quote, There has and will continue to be a debate within the medical community about the best ways to provide physical and mental health care for adolescents who are struggling with their own gender identity. And it is important that we recognize and understand those struggles are real. With all of that in mind, I have decided to sign SB 480 into law. Ooh, yeah. And well, over in Idaho, uh, Governor Brad Little, also a Republican, signed into law H71, also known as the so-called the Vulnerable Child Protective Act. Kind of sounds like the Let Them Grow Act, right? Uh, H71 would bar transgender people 18 years old and younger from receiving gender-affirming medication or health care, including puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and gender-affirming surgeries, with anyone violating the law being threatened with a felony charge and up to 10 years behind bars. The bill will take effect on January 1st, 2024. Little is quoted as saying, In signing this bill, I recognize our society plays a role in protecting minors from surgeries or treatments that can irreversibly damage their healthy bodies. However, as policymakers, we should take great caution whenever we consider allowing the government to interfere with loving parents and their decisions about what is best for their children. Okay. Well, let's see here. Uh, Chelsea uh, Gona Lincoln, the executive director of Add the Words, a mutual aid organization in Idaho, said in a statement last Tuesday that Little's aligned support of parents' decisions 
for their children does not align with him signing it. I'd actually agree with that one. Chelsea is quoted as saying, We are heartbroken for the families of Idaho today. We are watching parental rights being dismantled in the name of stigmatizing and harming our most vulnerable youth. So, yeah, I'll be posting that link and other related links over on the Facebook page for Lavender Hill later this afternoon. Well, it is time for us to take a music break, and we're going to kind of keep with trans musicians for a little bit here. And uh, we're going to hear from Alexander James Adams off of his newest album, uh, Rose Red, and other fairy tales. We're going to hear Real Boy. All righty, and I do apologize. I misspoke. I gave the wrong album title. It's The Blue Rose Rare and Other Fairy Tales. Alexander James Adams with Real Boy. Yes. A uh, musical interpretation of the story of Pinocchio. Alrighty. So, let's see here. Where are we going to go next? So, alrighty. How about we go down to Georgia? And yes, I do have good news for you, other than what I opened with. I do have more good news for you. Uh, Georgia's SB 140, which is seen as a serious threat to LGBTQ plus youth, is uh, on the docket here, if you will. And uh, let's see here. I'm trying to figure out where this one came from. Uh, Public News Service is the website. Uh, Colin Brantmeyer writing for them uh, or... uh, Shantea Hudson, pardon me, writing for them. Colin Brantmeyer is the owner of the site. Uh, new legislation in Georgia targeted gender-affirming health care for transgender minors has health professionals and LGBTQ plus advocates on high alert because it is set to take effect on July 1st. Hmm, sounds familiar, right? I know I've talked a little bit about this. Senate Bill 140 prohibits doctors in Georgia from offering hormone therapy, puberty blockers, or surgery to transgender youths. Isabel Otera, Georgia Policy Director for the Southern Poverty Law Center, said the measure is a direct threat to a vulnerable group of Georgians and infringes on parental rights and medical decision-making. Isabel is quoted as saying, Georgia's families deserve privacy and respect when it comes to personal health care decisions, and these decisions should be left between the families and their medical providers without any political interference. The bill's proponents argue that it is necessary to protect children from making irreversible decisions about their bodies. However, healthcare professionals point out that gender-affirming care is not a decision made lightly and is only provided after extensive evaluation by medical experts, including psychologists. Uh, Senate Bill 140 goes against recommendations from major medical organizations such as the American Medical Association and the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. Stacy Fox, president and CEO of the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute, said the measure also threatens to worsen the state's health care worker shortage with only three in counties equipped to care for their residents, attracting and retaining medical professionals becomes even more difficult. Uh, Stacy Fox is quoted as saying, criminalization of healthcare providers, as research shows, leads to less people applying to medical schools in those states and migration of current providers to states without criminal penalties. 
Organizations such as Georgia's ACLU are taking a strong stance in protecting and advocating for civil liberties and rights focused on leveraging legal action. They're exploring all possible avenues. I will be sharing the full article over on our Facebook page for Lavender Hill later today. So if you want to follow up on that, feel free to do so. All righty. Well, what else do I have for you here? Oh, well, this is perhaps some good stuff here. In New Jersey, Democratic Governor Phil Murphy signed an order this past Tuesday aimed at protecting gender-affirming care, with the Democrat declaring his state a safe haven for transgender people. According to an article from HuffPost uh, from Wednesday this last week, Executive Order Number 326 grants protections to anyone providing or receiving gender-affirming care and prohibits health insurers from denying or limiting coverage for services including gender-affirming care, due to a person's gender identity or expression. There are over 30,000 transgender adults residing in New Jersey, with an estimated 1.4 million transgender adults in the U.S. overall, according to the Williams Institute at the University of California, Los Angeles. Referring to LGBTQ+, as well as intersex and asexual people, the executive order says, quote, it is in the public interest of the state to foster a safe and affirming health care environment in New Jersey and ensure that members of the LGBTQIA plus community present in New Jersey, including transgender and non-binary youth, enjoy equal access to quality health care services. So, yes, at least some good news there from New Jersey. Let's just go a little bit further into this for you, though, in case you're wondering. Under the order, protection also extends to people from out of state who travel to New Jersey for gender-affirming care, as it prohibits the extradition of anyone providing, receiving, or facilitating these health services. New Jersey departments and agencies are barred from cooperating with interstate investigations attempting to hold someone liable for civil or criminal penalties related to legal gender-affirming care in the state. The governor's move comes as legislation sweeps the nation, aiming to ban gender-affirming care and restrict LGBTQ plus rights and expression. According to the ACLU, there are 451 anti-LGBTQ bills in the U.S. that seek to limit access to gender-affirming care, drag shows, and more. So, there we go. There's a little bit more to that and uh, plenty of tweets associated with it as well, since that seems to be a way that uh, our lawmakers want to communicate with us these days. Uh, Well, with the short attention span that many Americans have, it kind of works, I guess. All righty. Well, let's see here. Oops, that was opening up my email, (laughs) which, of course, I have all those links that I've been talking about over in my email so that I don't lose them. But let's go ahead and take our bottom of the hour break just a smidgen early here because I got some more good news for you after the break. So keep on listening here to KZUM. I'll be back after this short spate of announcements and some more music for you talking about texas when we come back 
Walking Through This World, title track of the album by Sidney Bullens. Uh, Sydney's got a book coming out early in June called Transelectric, My Life as a Cosmic, Cosmic Rock Star. And uh, that comes out with a foreword by Sir Elton John, somebody that Sydney performed with extensively in the 70s, along with Bob Dylan and many other wonderful musicians of that era, some of which are still around with us today. All righty, so I'll go ahead and share a link with uh, you on our Facebook page to uh, how you can get that book if you're interested. Anywho, I told you we were going to be going down to Texas. The not-so-great state of Texas, but every once in a while they kind of surprise us. According to the Texas Tribune from last Monday, uh, that is Monday the... Come on, pull up for me. I want to say the third. Uh, GOP Texas senators reverse their votes allowing some transgender kids to keep receiving puberty blockers and hormone therapy. Hmm? Okay, so Republican Texas senators on Monday reversed themselves and voted against allowing transgender kids currently being treated with puberty blockers and hormone therapy to continue receiving such care. That, that, that's a confusing headline and all that, isn't it? Let's dig into this and see what this actually means. That reversal essentially expanded Senate Bill 14's proposed ban on transition-related care to to include all transgender children, as outlined in the legislation's original version. The chamber voted 19 to 11 along party lines to preliminarily approve the broader version of the bill, which is priority legislation for Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Monday's vote to expand the restrictions and advance the legislation came days after the GOP-controlled Senate agreed to allow some kids, those already on puberty blockers and hormone therapy by early June, to keep their access to those treatments. So now they've reversed themselves on that. Hmm. Republican Senator Donna Campbell of New Brunsfels, or Bronsfell, um, one of the authors of SB 14, said on Monday that she wanted to remove the exceptions because they weren't discussed in a committee hearing before reaching the full Senate. To quote her, she said, There were so many questions that have been brought up since the amendment was put on that out of respect for the body, we're going to ask that it be taken down. Senator Jose Menendez, a Democrat from San Antonio, pushed back against removing the exceptions, which would have allowed more transgender kids to receive care that many medical groups say is vital to their mental health. And during committee debates for both SB 14 and its House Companion Bill, the Texas Medical Association has also called for lawmakers to allow trans youth who are already receiving transition-related medical treatments like puberty blockers or hormone therapy to continue receiving them. Senator Menendez is quoted as saying, there's extensive data showing that hormone therapy withdrawal symptoms can be and are very real difficult and are very real difficult to cope with. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not sure after the hearing where we, Senator Campbell and and himself, sat through why we would want to pull the rug out from under people. Hmm. I'll let you read the whole thing yourself over on our Facebook page for Lavender Hill. I'll be posting that link. And as always, I encourage you to follow any embedded links in there for more information. Uh, just so if you're really all that curious, you can find out a little bit more about what's going on. Now, let's see here. I think I skipped over something. No, I didn't. I didn't. I rearranged things. Okay. So, uh, going to uh, them, a uh, online news source for the LGBTQIA community. Uh, a trans teen is debunking an article that attacked their gender clinic. A uh, transgender teenager is speaking out after their story was allegedly mischaracterized to a reporter without their consent, adding fuel to the legal fire surrounding a Missouri gender clinic. Samantha Rydell writing on Thursday for them. Uh, last week, the Free Press, an independent media outlet founded by former New York Times staff writer and libs of TikTok defender uh, Barry Weiss, and which produces the podcast The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, published a profile of a woman named Caroline who claimed that doctors at the Washington University Transgender Center in St. Louis, Missouri, violated medical ethics and improperly fast-tracked her child into getting the puberty blocker, uh, Suprelin. Carolyn told Free Press senior editor Emily Yof that she felt bullied by the doctors alleging that they intimidated her with trans-suicidality statistics and calling the treatments extreme. The piece also quoted Jamie Reed, a former caseworker at Washington University's Transgender Center, who in March came out with allegations of widespread misconduct at the clinic. These allegations sparked an investigation by Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey, who has since issued emergency restrictions on, on gender-affirming care in the state. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, the thrust of Yuff's article and Reed's public statement have since been contradicted by nearly two dozen parents who told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch last month that the treatment provided by Washington University Transgender Center was safe and methodical and that Reed herself regularly lied to prevent them from accessing care. On April 4th, Caroline's own child joined that course, reactivating their Twitter account to retake their narrative. In a viral thread, Alex claimed the Free Press published numerous false statements about their story. Alex, who is 16 years old, wrote that the article relies on, quote, false perceptions that my mom has about the doctors and clinic, end quote, and that they were disgusted by the article when they saw it ahead of publication. Uh, to continue on from uh, that... Uh, the article makes it out that my mother had no say in the implant of the Suprelin. Uh, writing in that thread, Alex said, which is completely false. They also confirmed the doctor's reference to suicidality statistics, but did not say Alex themselves was at risk. While Caroline pointed to Alex's worsening grades in mental health as evidence that the puberty blockers were having negative effects, Alex said this was, quote, a completely exaggerated statement. Since COVID-19, my mental health has been declining and it was already an issue. Alex also claimed that their mother lied about whether she was 
uh, contacted for a parental meeting after she revoked consent for Alex's Suprelin implant. Uh, there is a lot more to that article, which I encourage you to take a look at after I get it posted over to our Facebook page for Lavender Hill. And let's see here. Oh, I should save that. Really, I should save that for a little bit later because that's related to the next thing. And that's... Yeah, let's go ahead and take our next music break here. And uh, when we come back, I'll have some entertainment and perhaps some sports news for you as well here on Lavender Hill. Yeah, me talking about sports. Oops. Come on, computer, do what I want you to do. There we go. We're going to have some Lucy Blue Tremblay. Haven't played her on Lavender Hill. Uh, great interview with her last week with Deb Anderson as well. So I hope you tuned into that. If you didn't, you can still catch it in the KZUM archives. KZUM.org slash archives. Here's some Lucy Blue. All righty. That was a little Lucy Blue Tremblay there. Transformations title track off of one of her uh, 1990s albums there. So, uh, yeah. We'll just see here what all we can cram into the last, oh, 10, 11 minutes of the show, plus another song. So let's see here. Uh, in entertainment news, uh, do you like manga? Uh, not everybody does, but if you do, there is a uh, manga book out there called I Think Our Son is Gay, which, uh, according to CBR's uh, reporter Jonathan Greenall, is a beautiful example of how far queer narratives have come. Queer themes are not new to us in anime or manga. In fact, they have existed since the medium's first and earliest days. However, recently, these themes have become more prominent as society's increased acceptance of LGBTQA plus people has allowed those creators to bluntly discuss their lives and the issues facing them in media. And the book, I Think Our Son is Gay, is one of the best examples of this, according to Jonathan, as the manga is a highly relatable queer narrative. Uh, in the, uh, the book, it's described as a fantastic manga and a perfect example of how far queer narratives have come. The fact that the manga can tackle the coming out experience and its surrounding anxieties from a realistic grounded perspective and still be released in stores by a larger publisher shows that LGBTQA plus people and their stories are now much more accepted by society in Japan and around the globe. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more about I Think Our Son is Gay, which is written and illustrated by the artist Okura, uh, you can check out uh, the link that I'm going to be sharing on our Facebook page. Now, some of you may have noticed that as of last week, I was using a lot of MSN links, you know, the uh, MSN.com being the start of the link. And that's to help you avoid those paywalls, especially when I've been referring to articles from places like USA Today and uh, you know, the New York Times and such. So I was trying to make it a little bit easier for uh, some of our online listeners there. Uh, but speaking of books and speaking of things that are kind of positive, even though this is coming out of Texas, another one coming out of Texas, this one I, I, I hope is going to come across a lot more positive than the last one. Uh, according to People Magazine, uh, a Texas judge has ordered 12 library books that had been removed 
over their LGBTQ and racial content to be returned to the shelves. Uh, the books, including Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson and Being Jazz, My Life as a Transgender Teen by Jazz Jennings, need to be back on shelves within 24 hours. And this was announced on Monday, so they should be back on shelves by now. A federal judge has ordered those 12 books that were removed from uh, circulation due to LGBTQ and racial content to be returned to those shelves. And I'm talking about uh, Judge Robert Pittman in a ruling from last Thursday uh, that the removed books be back on shelves within 24 hours. So they were back on the shelves by Monday when I found this article. Uh, Judge Pittman also required that all 12 books be marked as available in the library catalog and ordered that no books can be removed during the ongoing case. Residents in uh, Yano County filed a lawsuit last April claiming their First and Fourteenth Amendments were violated after the books were removed by lawmakers who deemed the content inappropriate. Some of the books in question are like what I mentioned before, uh, the book there by Isabel Wilkerson and by Jazz Jennings. And there's also a book by Susan Campbell uh, Bortoletti called They Called Themselves the KKK, The Birth of an American Terrorist Group. So, you know, that's just three out of the 12. And I'll let you follow this on your own by uh, clicking on the uh, link over there on our face, uh, Facebook page. Uh, after I get it up there for you. I'm getting ready to hand things over to Deb and Twyla for the women's show. Uh, Twyla, remind me who it is that you're interviewing. Eden Archer. Eden Archer is uh, Twyla's interview guest today. Uh, and uh, Deb's going to be joined by Dellen, the uh, assistant music director for some great music by, for, and about women. And I do have some other news for you. There's a lot of things that I didn't have time for. I think I only opened up about half the links that I had on my list. So I'm going to be sharing all those with you throughout the rest of today on our Facebook page. But I uh, want to say to all my listeners, thank you for tuning in. You know, I do get a little nervous when I see a cluster of listeners near Washington, D.C. So if you're still listening there in the Washington, D.C. area, how about you send me an email? Maybe let me know why it is that you tune in or maybe some music that you'd like to hear. You can email me at lavenderhill89.3 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you no matter where you are listening from. Uh, and, you know, let me know what you think and what you'd like to hear me talk about or play. All righty. So going to hand things over to Deb here and Twyla in just a minute uh, or th four, something like that. So uh, thank you for tuning in again. Uh, don't forget the archives. You can listen to this show and any show that uh, got saved into the archives up to two weeks after original broadcast date. Thanks to the KZUM archives. And there we go. Okay. All right. So I'm going to hit play on the music so that I can do some other stuff here to get things squared away for the ladies. Ladies. 